Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. We continue our series on the book of Hebrews. Beginning in chapter 5, we seek to understand more about the practical realities of possessing a holy inheritance. We know how to get there, we're told, but we tend to do everything except what we ought to do. Spiritual maturity involves approaching the throne of grace to find help for our imperfection. God wants us to enter into his rest and take ownership of the possession he has given us to steward. He wants our lives to be holy and complete. Well, we come to chapter 5 today of the book of Hebrews. We started in chapter 1 and were introduced to the great Son, King, and High Priest, Jesus. So much better than the angels. And in chapter 2, we're admonished that we need to listen to the Son. We're told that if the Word was spoken through angels and proved steadfast, how much more will the Word spoken through the Son prove steadfast? We're told that this Son is restoring to us what was originally intended, and that was for man, humanity, to be crowned with glory and honor. And that glory and honor that we're to be crowned with is to rule the earth, in perfect harmony with all creation, with one another, and with God. And he says in chapter 2, verse 9, But now we do not see all things put under him. A gross and vast understatement. Harmony is something that is fleeting in this world. But what we do see, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, who became flesh, crowned with glory for the suffering of death. Jesus is restoring all things. And we're invited to participate in the path that He's blazed. He is said to be the captain of our salvation, to bring many sons to glory. He wants to restore us. This is a restoration, however, that can be neglected. So he tells us in chapter 3, the way. If we were to use Herman's great leader's formula of getting things done, there, here, path. There being, I want something here, an analysis, my current condition, I don't have it, and the path being how to get there, which is something that humanity uses. A baby does there, here, path. I'm hungry. Is my here, I want my stomach full, is my there, so I cry. It's a very human thing to do. It's just a way to express that. If we were to use that here, we would say the there that Paul is putting out for us is to have a restoration of everything we were ever designed to be. Complete harmony, complete fulfillment of purpose, God, man, and nature. That's the there. Something all of us yearn for. The entire creation's groaning for it. The here is, we don't see the happening right now. And the path is the suffering of death. 
that Jesus has already paved. Of course, part of the here is we don't really like suffering and we certainly don't like death. So it's a very difficult proposition to get from here to there. In fact, Paul, I think, is telling us it can't be done. Which is why he says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest. For in fact, without the ministry of the Son as high priest, this mission that Paul is presenting to us is really impossible. We looked at an example of what it looks like to fumble the opportunity. And the children of Israel are given as the example. The there for the children of Israel was to possess their possession. They were given the land. It was promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. When God promises something, it's going to happen. It was already given. But it was for them to possess the possession to gain the inheritance through obedience. And this generation fumbled it. Uh, God said, you tried me ten times. Uh, They came to the edge of the wilderness and at Kadesh Barnea had the opportunity to go in possess the land. Ten sent in the twelve spies. They listened to the bad report of the ten spies all the spies agreed and said, it's a wonderful land, but the ten spies says, it's too hard, we can't do it. They listened to that, said, we want to go back to Egypt. And God says, you know, you tried me these ten times. And you can't go in. I'm done with you. That generation did not possess their possession. They were still taken care of by God. He still fed them. He still owned them as children, but they didn't get the possession. We're going to understand more about this path because they were given this there to possess their inheritance and they were given the means to get there. And the means to get there was an intermediary. They could have asked Moses. They could have prayed to God. They could have stood before the tabernacle in dependence and asked God for help. They didn't. What did they do instead? Whine. Complain. Made plans to go back to Egypt. Just think about it. They just crossed the wilderness. Could they live in the wilderness without God's miraculous provision? It's impossible. But they had become entitled to God's provision in the wilderness because they were used to it. And when God says, I'm going to give you a new provision for this new era of your life, they said, no, that's not good enough. That's just kind of the way we are as people. We take things for granted, don't even realize the provision that we have. So in verse chapter 4, the author here, Paul says, they didn't enter his rest. And this is just another way to say, finish, possess the inheritance, possess your possession. God rested when? The seventh day. Why did he rest on the seventh day? He was finished. So we come to chapter 5. Leading into chapter 5, with uh, chapter 4, verse 11, we have a reiteration of chapter 2. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, to finish, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things naked and open to the eyes of Him, to whom we must give account. Who's the judge that will determine the possession of the possession? The Word. If the Word given to angels proves steadfast, how much more should we heed the Word of the Son? And we see the Word made flesh. That is our agent to possess the possession. And it's also the judge of our hearts. This is how we'll know. Well, how in the world are we going to get from here to there? It's an impossible task. Well, it starts in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son. He's the Son and He's the high priest. The Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, our word. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. This is how we get there. To boldly approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Now, again, we'll talk more about this next week, but what we tend to do is everything but. We tend to put in place um, legalism, various kinds of legalism to justify ourselves. We tend to whine and complain, blame. There's all sorts of things that we tend to do. But maturity looks like this, to approach the throne of grace, to find help. So let's look at chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Remember, Paul is talking to his good friends who are all fellow Jews, and they've all grown up while the temple's still in action. And these Jews still, uh, as Paul did as well, participate in the festivals, they participate in the sacraments, they participate in the ordinances, including sacrifice. And the function of the high priest is something that's not theoretical for them, it's something they experience. Verse 2, he, the high priest, the high priest at the temple, can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. He knows what it's like. He has to offer sacrifices for himself too. Because of this, he's required, as for the people, so as for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. He has to offer it for himself as well. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who's called by God, just as Aaron was. These guys don't appoint themselves. They were appointed by God. So also, Christ did not glorify or appoint himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, 
God said to him, You're my son. Today I've begotten you. As he also says in another place, You're a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Here's Psalm 110 again. Remember, Psalm 110 has this chiasm. Uh, Christ is king. Christ is conqueror. Christ is high priest. Christ is judge. Christ is king. And the corner, the, the core message in Psalm 110 is Jesus is high priest, but he's king and priest. And we're reminded once again this son, this honor that God has disposed, uh, or sorry, um, uh, conferred on Jesus. Today I've begotten you as a son is an adoption of the great high king to a subordinate king who he uh, desires to honor. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Melchizedek, when he had, I'm sorry, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. The Word is something we need to listen to. The Word from Jesus is something we need to listen to. And Paul's friends have started to get hard of hearing. And what he wants to talk to him about is Jesus as high priest. So before we proceed, let's just stop and look for a minute here. This high priest deal is a really big deal. And what was it that Jesus gained through his obedience? He was made perfect. Let's look again. We've done this once before, but I want to deepen our our look. And let's look at this word perfect, which is the Hebrew word teleosi. So we get our word telescope from this. Okay, So you look at the telescope and you're looking to do what? See a long ways away, right? So the idea is something at the finish line, completed. And I just want to go through and look at the instances of this word in Hebrews. First, let's look at an instance in John 4 that I think uh, is a real clear instance where the word means uh, completion. John 4, uh, so let's start in 33. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to teleosai, his work. Finish. Complete. So let's just look at the instances of this word or the root of it in uh, Hebrews. The first instance is in Hebrews 2, 2 verse 10. For it was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation complete. Through sufferings. Same idea. Jesus was perfected through sufferings. Notice He was already a son. Remember, what what did God say when Jesus was baptized? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He already had the possession. 
But he possessed the possession through his obedience. We similarly already have treasure laid up in heaven. This inheritance is already endowed to us. It's for us to possess it. Hebrews 5 verse 9, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. What salvation are we talking about? Do you get salvation from heaven to hell? Salvation from not being born to being born through obedience? Is that how you get that? You don't get that that way, right? You get it purely through faith. You possess the possession and fulfill what was supposed to be, which is to be crowned with glory and honor and to sit at the right hand with Jesus through obedience. And Jesus has plowed that path. Let's look at Hebrews 6, 1. We'll be there in just a second. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Some of your translations might say maturity. It's the same idea, teleosi, completion. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. We don't want to talk about those things. We'll get into this more in a minute. What we want to talk about is Melchizedek, Jesus as high priest. Then there's a whole series of occurrences of this word, teleosi, that basically make the same point. Uh, And it has to do with the old covenant not getting us there. We need the new covenant to get us there. Uh, We'll start with 7.11. Therefore, if perfection, teleosi, completion, getting to the finish line, were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should come? Similar thing in 7.19. The law made nothing complete, perfected, finished. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God, through Melchizedek, the high priest Jesus. 7.28, the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever, completed, through the suffering of death and obedience. Hebrews 9.9, these tabernacle things were symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service, the earthly, high, the earthly priest, perfect, complete in regard to the conscience. These sacrifices, these things, doesn't make our conscience complete. Verse 11, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect, more complete tabernacle, Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. You see that there's a completion that can happen, and it's all through Jesus. It's through His person, it's through His example, following His example, and it's through His sacrifice. 10.1 For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, the 
mercy seat and the atonement and the forgiveness sacrifices and so forth that these guys did. And then we're in a time period, the temple's still going. Can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach complete. If you were, you could stop doing it. You don't have to keep going back. But, verse 12, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? He was finished. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made a footstool, for by one offering he has teleosi, completed, finished, perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You see, this perfection is already given, just like the land was promised to the people through Abraham, and it was an accomplished fact. And yet there was hundreds of years until they actually possessed it. The same is true for us. We're perfected. This glory is just waiting for us. The question is, are we going to possess it? Then a couple other points he makes in Hebrews 11, verse 40. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith where we're going to get not the bad examples of the people who died in the wilderness, but the good examples of people who lived in a way that they believed the promise was true even though they didn't receive it during their lifetime. Verse 39, And these, all these, all these great examples, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise during their lifetime. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made complete apart from us. See, this restoration of creation, this this bringing back of the sons to rule together in perfect harmony with creation and with God, it's all going to happen together. It's not going to be one at a time. That's part of the harmony. And lastly, chapter 12, where we're looking at the great example of Jesus who ran this great race, he says, we haven't come to Mount Zion, to Mount Sinai, this little temple on the earth that was so scary and so fearful that is really ingrained in the Jewish mentality that you're so focused on. That's, a, that's minor league, that's A league. We hadn't come to that. We've come to Mount Zion. And that really ought to get your attention. Why? Because in Mount Zion, we're going to stand before verse 23 the general assembly and church. Church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, this many sons. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made complete. He wants us to enter the rest, to possess the possession. He wants us to finish, to be complete. See, it's all through the book. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.